All right, guys. Welcome back to the Bottom of the Ninth podcast. I'm your host, Elijah, and today we're here with Brent Porchot. Right? Is that, did I say it right? I feel like I butchered yeah, yeah, it there. Porcio. That was, that was close, good. close. Awesome, man. How you doing today, man? Doing great, Elijah. Thanks for having me on, man. Excited Ab- to be here. Absolutely, man. We're, we're super pumped to have you. When I told everybody over here that you were here, they're like, oh, damn, that's badass. Because everyone, and the funny thing is, man, I, didn't, I met you at the ABCA for like a brief second. We talked for a bit, but I've been watching your videos on Top Velocity since like 16, 17 when I was still playing. So it was wild to see it full, come full yeah. circle and and see you do all this, man, and like see you in person. Because I've been watching your videos because I'm one of those guys, like your whole thing is like to throw 90, right? That's like the your your right. slogan. And that was my thing. I was looking to throw 90. Couldn't afford your programs and stuff, but I definitely watched as much free content <laughs> that you gave, man. That's awesome. Um, yeah, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Are you? And I know you said you're from Louisiana. Have you were born and raised there? Yeah, this is where I'm from. I was born and raised here from New Orleans. And okay. we moved over into this suburb here where I eventually built Top Velocity. And um, yeah, I, I played ball here. I, I grew up here. And of course, I left here and, and, and played out of here. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so born and raised there, played. So you've been a ball player your whole life, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I loved in, in high school, played football, baseball. Um, I loved football. I just got so many concussions. Yeah. I had a horrible concussion. I lost my memory for 24 hours. <laughs> Holy crazy. crap. So really? It, and I was like, you know, maybe this isn't that smart. So <laughs> I went, went the baseball route. You're telling me, man, that seems to be what, uh, a lot of people are thinking these days the, the danger to it's not not it's really worth it sport. at this point. It is, I mean, especially with everything that's been happening lately. I mean, everything that happened within the last couple of weeks with the what's his name Demar, and it's kind of changing that game a bit. But totally, totally. it's a, it's already a different game. Oh you know, yeah, my era was r- rough, man. Guys are getting beat up back then. Oh yeah, it's a little a little safer today, I guess you could say. But so so you're. You played all throughout high school baseball players. So you you kind of focused on baseball, and I saw that you did play professionally for a bit. How did your How did your career shape up? I mean, were you you're a pitcher, obviously, right? Is that what it was? Pitcher. So how did how did that whole thing go? Yeah, it kind of led to my purpose in life. But you know, yeah. I was 18 years old uh, at, at JUCO here in New Orleans, and I was starting starting pitcher, and I was in first my first college appearance. Mm-hmm. And about the fourth inning, my arm tore. And Holy it just crap. laid down. It laid limp. And oh, so it, it was a rotator cuff tear. And okay. the, the joint just did not want to move after that. I lost all strength in the joint um, and had Holy to crap. immediately have surgery. And it, it, it wasn't just out of the blue. That built up over time. So I was like yeah, yeah, know, yeah. doing you know, anti-inflammatories. I was using Icy Hot. I was, I was, I was hitting my arm. Because I couldn't stand the throbbing pain, I was hitting. Yeah, so I you know what? Feel that like I was ignoring all signs yeah. uh, of injury, which then I tore the rotator cuff, and that that created my path because doctors told me I was wasting my time because of the tear. And back then, this is in '95, okay. not many people had recovered from rotator cuff in uh, rotator cuff tear. Like the first one, I think in Major League Baseball was Jimmy Key, and that was mm-hmm. in I think '93. So like two years later, I'm having the same injury as, as the first guy to even make it back from this injury. Yeah. So they, you know, the shoulder can it can be the kiss of death. It, it really you is can, yeah. a career-ending injury, and uh, especially with a rotator cuff tear. So I, I didn't want to give it up, and that's what led me down this road of finding whatever I could learn about what had happened. Like, you know, mm-hmm. learning kinesiology, learning is there any science to help me understand how I could even get this back and 
lot of doors slammed in my face because, you know, not many, especially back then, not many people knew how to deal with this in baseball. For throwing yeah, yeah. And, and then that led to, to where I am today, the top loss city. And, of course, I used it for myself personally, and I got to play uh, independent minor league ball in San Diego for awesome. um, in the Golden League. And okay. then I wound up playing uh, in Europe as well. And, and then I just wanted to, to coach what I had learned. After I had done it personally, I got back to – I was probably like high 80s. After all the training, I was low to mid-90s. Wow, and there you go. then I wanted to really teach what I had learned and developed – and yeah. and then that's what top velocity that's what spawned top velocity so yeah that's awesome man so so you did get the chance to play pro ball i mean you played a good good chunk of ball after that so that so at that point i know I, and i also read up I, I like to do a little bit of research so you did they did tell you you were pretty much done i mean i know you touched on it a bit but they told you right that was it Well, especially they so I, I after the surgery the doctor just said he wanted me to be able to use my arm again Right, And then I went through rehab and I couldn't throw the ball 10 feet after six months of rehab. And Jeez. so the, I went back to the doctors and the doctors were like, yeah, you're done. Pick another sport. I mean, pick something else to do. Yeah. Again, so. And you, but you came back. That's, that's crazy, man. And that's like, so, so kind of touching on the injury. So I know for a while, like I, I need Tommy John surgery. I, I don't know if I, I told you that I, I need it. I haven't got it. I'm like one of those guys that's like, at this point, I got it. So I had I needed Tommy John my senior year, and I just was like, I don't want it because I I can just like one of those guys that I'm like super big into fitness and I lift, I run, I do all this stuff. So me having to sit back for 18 months in a yeah. in a case at this point it's in my brutal. life, I'm like, I'm not going to do it. There's just no need. Yeah. Um, but so do you think like, and that's the thing. Like for a while, it was like, well, if you tear your rotator, I know back in the day, like it was like you tear your rotator cuff, it's significantly worse. You're worse off. Like the the return rate is so much smaller than Tommy John. But I think like. I think now as like medicine advances, do you think that those two injuries are almost about equal, like the return rate on them are about the same? Do you see a lot of guys go through those injuries and rehab to where they were before? Um, I, I think, you know, I, I was around ASMI for a little bit uh, with Dr. Andrews, and I mm -hmm. heard Dr. Andrews at uh, their baseball and injuries course about five, four or five years ago say, we've gone full circle with shoulder injuries, meaning like, mm -hmm. We can't figure them out. Like we're, yeah. they don't work basically. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I don't think they've made much strides with shoulder injuries. I think they've made huge strides with UCL injuries. Oh, yeah. Tommy John's like nothing these days. It's like yeah, have Tommy a surgery and a you're back in surgery at yeah. this point. But I think shoulder is still the kiss of death. Um, mm. When I get guys who have had labrum tears, now look. Doctors are way more quick to go to surgery today than they've ever been. Yeah, and people are having surgery on slight labrum tears. I'm talking like significant labrum tears. Like I don't, I don't really see them um, improving. Like I don't see them better at getting them back to playing. I, they're just yeah. as brutal to deal with. Um, they're, they're the hardest injuries to deal with in in, in our sport. Okay. So and that's what I thought, you know, it's like, but it, you have people that go both ways. They're like, Oh, well, you know, you can always come back like in your case, like, but you're a pretty, I think you're a pretty slim case to come back to almost, almost a hundred percent. I mean, it's a I've pretty never, slim chance. To be honest, still today. I've, I've never met anyone to tear the rotator cuff like me and, mm -hmm. and to try to get back. I mean, I would say if, if I have there, there are a couple of them. There's not mm -hmm. many that can do it. It's, it's the one that destroys you, man. It really yeah. is. It's the, yeah. It's one of those things. I remember, you know, even I, I think any injury to a pitcher like that is 
is pretty defeating in any aspect you go it's pretty pretty tough to come back it's just really disheartening because it's you know like there's just been so much research and everyone that hurts themselves at this point knows the journey that they're about to embark on to get back to any if they still want to play the game but it's crazy man it's one of those things but so get back let's get back to top velocity so so you play your career out you know starting starting something like this i guess in what year did you guys start top velocity what what year was that it was about 2006 2007 okay um and i, and I, I know it. you guys oh go ahead go ahead yeah i mean and and you can go back and look at all my social media accounts and like especially my youtube you'll see videos from 2006 um <laughs> and that's going way back people don't realize that's the beginning yeah. of that's the beginning that's before social media you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is that's like and that's what i was saying i was watching your videos like forever ago like and that's and that's the thing that people don't understand like you've like making it in i guess in this realm and like like i said i study the exercise and sports science i have my my degree in, in my bachelor's in exercise and sports science so that's kind of something i interned at a place here in san antonio texas that they used to have a lot of pro athletes come through and it was it looks honestly it wasn't as baseball specific to what you're doing here you know i see all the ball players you got back there throwing the throwing the balls and getting their lift and it was more of um it was more for all sports. Like we had volleyball players in there. We had a, don't get me wrong. There was, I'd say about 70 to 80% of us were all ball players. And then you had um, basketball players from all around the area. And to make it, I know that, you know, I was really close friends with this guy's name was Phil Jansen out here in San Antonio. And he, he had a tough time. Like it was just, it's just, it's a grind to make it in that world. And like, it's crazy that you stuck with it and he did the same thing. He eventually ended up going to a different career path and he sold off the business. Now it's some other thing now, but still the same concept, but different ownership group. And, but like to see you do that. So what was the evolution? Did you have a, a spot or were you doing mostly YouTube videos doing maybe like online coaching or had a couple clients here and there before? Cause, because I know the expenditures and all that stuff to have a facility like you have right now, obviously is a huge journey and it's something that's not really talked about a lot in the sporting in the sports world. It's kind of one of those behind the scenes aspects. So what was the journey to get to your own facility and like have all that stuff you've got back there? Like how did it grow? Yeah. I mean, it's, you're right, man. It's super tough. I've had a lot of mm-hmm. like mentors and coaching, you know, advise me against doing something like this. But, mm-hmm. my, you know, my dad was, my whole life was in the military. And, and then mm-hmm. when he got out, he, he became an entrepreneur. So he, he kind of ra- raised me being an entrepreneur and entrepreneurs feast or famine. So you do have yeah. to be, understand that you're going to be broke a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you're going <laughs> to, sometimes you'll be fine and then you'll be broke again. And, but always <laughs> yep. being prepared to be broke, I think is like a good it's mentality. The and then, yeah. and then slow growth, like slow mm-hmm. growth is the key to business. If you try to fast grow, um, of course, you know, today it's popular with startups to get mm-hmm. new investor rounds and get money and, and try to grow fast. But, I think it's gambling, and I mean, as much as I've gambled on things, I just didn't want to gamble on this because I loved it, yeah, and I'm passionate about it. And so I knew if this took 20 years to do, um, and I'm almost to the 20 year mark, um, yeah. I was fine with it. And mm-hmm. it, it, dude, it takes that long. And it, it, at the end of the day, too, if you really want to be good at something and you want to build a name in an industry, you're trying to brand, and you can't brand quick. Branding no. takes massive amounts of time to brand yeah. and it takes consistency over that time. And that's why I just, I knew that this was going to work because even if it wasn't succeeding, I still was loving it and, and yeah. I was still posting and I was still trying to learn and educate and help. And you're almost, you start to realize if I just don't give up 
and I stay healthy and I do this, uh, there's a good chance I'm going to win, mm-hmm. you know? So I just think it's the discipline. Um, and, and most people don't have the discipline cause they probably don't love it that, that much. Uh, so you got to have the passion, <laughs> yeah. the love and, 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 and the work ethic and which is the discipline. And it's just a matter of time. Some guys can do it shorter than others. I've seen guys following me in this or, you know, right there with me in the same career path, having success earlier. And, you know, and then I had success a little later and I still see we have a lot more success to come because I can now see our impact on the industry. And mm-hmm. that's when, you know, your brand is really getting out there when you start to see it influencing the, the industry. But it, yeah, I mean, the moral of the story was, dude, I just, I, I just put all my energy and efforts and, and love into it with a real, the strongest discipline I could. And just, I hang, I would just, I hung on as as long as I can, I'm still, I still plan to go a lot longer. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I know I was asking you, I was like, you went to the ABCA. That was nuts. I, just seeing your, yeah, you was. out there and talking to people that was so crazy and stuff. Yeah, and I was, was like, fun. you know, and I was telling guys back at our booth, I was like, man, I just saw Brent and like, I was explaining to our VP and stuff. I was like, dude, I used to watch this guy. Like that was nuts. That was just for me. That was nuts. I was like, I've been watching you and stuff and seeing the whole evolution and now seeing you with this yeah. massive booth and you're, you're creating your own products. And it's just like, it's more, it's more special for me, I guess, because I've seen the whole, like, yeah, how you played out. Yeah, yeah, you shared it with me, you know. Exactly. Yeah, that's what makes it yeah, crazy. Yeah, that, that's the coolest thing about today with social media is that you can, you can, like, mm-hmm. c- you can connect to an influencer and you can almost share his growth with you. You know, yeah. I remember when I started posting in the beginning, I had some like diehards right out of the gate that were like, man, I, we're just excited to keep following your path. I got one yeah. dad on Twitter, who's probably <laughs> liked my videos for at least 12 years. That's insane. <laughs> like, that is insane. It's like, and I know those guys, I've, like to mm-hmm. me, they're friends at this point, even though I only see them on, on Twitter, you know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that's the coolest thing about today with social media is, is you can grow with an influencer and I, and, and really almost feel connected to him because you've seen mm-hmm. him through all of his ups and downs, you know? Right. Yeah. You've seen the, you've seen the whole creative process and how it's, how it's grown and how it's built. Yeah. So I got to ask, so, so I know you said like, so this was like your, you love, this was your passion. This is something you knew when baseball was going to end that you were going to go this way. And I think that's awesome that your dad had those creative and that entrepreneurial like path so that you could follow it and see how it goes. And that's something that you were, you were kind of pretty much built and ready for. So did, so you finished playing, and I know you have your MS, your doctorate, your doctorate. Did you go back? I'm working what, on my doctorate right now. Working on your doctorate. Okay. So, so you're still going to school right now. Right. Cool. Cool. Okay. I was going to say, did you, did you get it already and do all that? Like how, what was the education path? Cause like you, as you're an athlete, you played indie ball. You said you went out to Europe and played ball there too. So what was the education path for anyone who's maybe listening? That's going through the same thing. Wants to be that, wants to be that, you know, strength coach or how, whatever you want to call it. Cause now there's so many different aspects of training that, that go into this. So what, what's the education path that you would recommend to do something like what you're doing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, you're going to see guys with different educational levels in this mm-hmm. business. You're going to see some with not even a high school degree, and then you're wow. going to see some with doctorates. And, yeah. you know, I kind of get frustrated by the ones that are not trying to educate themselves, that don't even have the high school degrees, and yeah. they're in this space. I think we do need to do a better job in this space of, basically requiring having that a lot of these coaches influencers have educations because that's what a lot of the bad information out there is. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's these, uh, lack of understanding of how these intricate systems of the body work. 
and, mm-hmm. and they're they're applying things that really don't go with those principles, and that's yeah. concerning. Right. So I do so. encourage everyone to be educated. But here's the thing: if you're going into the business like I did privately, as opposed to working with a business, then you just got to get out there and, and figure out how to provide a service because that's really what coaching is. You're providing mm-hmm. a service, and right. if you're an ex player, you leave your playing ego w- behind. Do not bring it with you. Like right. that's the worst thing you can do as a player is bring your playing ego into it because you're providing a service. You're in customer service. And then once you get in and you can find a place to start like intern or, mm-hmm. or start at a low rate, a low pay rate, right. then the process every day should be education. Like if you're a coach and you're not in continued education, mm-hmm. you're, you're not a good coach. I'm sorry. You're, you're not, <laughs> you're not developing yeah. yourself into a good coach. So I yeah. think, Continued education should be a prerequisite, a strong requirement of being a coach. And if the industry is not going to put that on us, you need to put it on yourself. So once again, if you're trying to do this privately and and survive, start up where you can and then start the educational process. And at that point, you're probably going to need financial aid because that's the (laughs) hard thing. You've got to pay for school. So Mm -hmm. you're going to have to figure out, okay, I don't have a lot of money, but I want to be in this, this industry and I do need to start continue to educate myself because the more I know, the better I grow, the more I help. So Absolutely. I'm going to make sure that I, I keep getting the education. Now, the education up front might be certifications. That's all great because those mm-hmm. are a lot cheaper than buying into a school. But eventually, <laughs> yeah. you should work in, in trying to find the best, most financial aid you can get. Or if you have that money, start putting it towards your education. And I did it yeah. slow. You can do a slow process online. You could take one class a semester. That's all I take. That's why yeah. my master's took me three years. It could have taken me mm-hmm. probably a year if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, but, but here's the thing. I don't think if you're coming out of college, I don't think like, oh, I got to go get my master's or I got to get my PhD because I'm going to get such a better start in this. That's not really a good way to look at it because a lot of your great years and finding your, your niche is the struggle and just trying to like get, get anything you can find and, and, and start just getting in and learning and, and not worrying about the money and just finding your way. You, you, you carve a niche way better than if you go out and you pay all this money, you get a PhD and I'm going to get this great job. I think you kind of, you, you take away the opportunity to grind in the business as a coach yeah. and where you're probably, those are the years where you're discovering way more about who you are and what you really want to do. Yeah. So I would recommend most to just get into the industry and then start the educational process slowly over time. And if it takes you 20 years, who cares? You're here yeah. because the value to me with the masters and with the PhD is not so much the degrees at the end. Those are fun to market. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I love the everyday uh, learning, and and, mm-hmm. and and I use that to be as an influencer. So that's the real value of the education is all the great information I'm getting from it while I'm trying to get yeah. to those degrees. Yeah. So that's it's funny you say that, man, because I am I used to room my, a few of my good friends actually run a uh, a strength and conditioning uh, business, but they're mostly online. They do like I think they have a couple stuff they do. Um, they do in person, but like 90% of their work is done online. 
and it's two, it's a couple I've, I've known him forever. And, and that was something, cause I was looking to get into the space, the same space and do the same thing. And, you know, luckily baseball express took me a different route and I love this so much more. And I didn't even know I would, I thought my, my career path was going to be in something that you're doing or, you know, personal training or something like that. It's just what I've been bred. I, you know, I interned at a strength facility for three years, worked out and then grew with that same facility since I was like a freshman in high school. So I've been around the space for so long that it almost felt like I was destined to be in there. And it's funny because I was like, well, I graduated, got my my degree, and I started working immediately in base, at Baseball Express and kind of grew there. And I was asking her because she got her master's, and 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 but she's an athletic coach. She's got her CSCS. She's got like a ridiculous amount of certifications. And I was like, should I go get my master's? Exactly what you just said. Should I go do it immediately? Will that give me a better route? Will that give me more to market? And she said, no, dude, like you need to go and start training and start working. She got hers paid for. Um, because she was an AT for the for the school at the time, and her mom works at the university, so she got a really good deal. She's like, "That's the only reason that I went and got it immediately because it was paid for. It just worked out better." But to, and she tells me that all the time. I, I've never used my 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 masters. It just doesn't come in. It's more of an on hands thing that you're doing. You learn more doing stuff like that. So it it just kind of paired. And what you're saying, what you just said, yeah. pretty much paired exactly with what she's well, saying, and it, it makes sense. Well, to go along with that, like I, like I said, like the continuing education is really the true benefit of education, of, of getting mm-hmm. a degree or having higher education degrees. And I think there's not enough people in the baseball, specifically coaches, that are continuing to educate themselves yeah. uh, in, in how all this stuff works, you know. Yeah, and that's that's something because I had never been to a trade show. That was the first one I'd gone to. Well, have one of that of that aspect, and you see all these coaches, and I thought, well, you know, they'll shop around, but like. The amount of coaches that go, not only just to, you know, make their relationships and make, you know, talk to people like you and me, you know, there's all those seminars and all those coaches that are talking and they go to benefit. And it's like really awesome to see that all these coaches care that much that they're here to benefit and learn how they can not only help themselves, but their players as well. So it was super enlightening. It was super cool to see. Yeah, that's a great convention. Oh, yeah, uh, it was it was a blast. It's, yeah, it's like the who's who in, in baseball. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, man. So. So what, so what, so when did you know, was your niche always going to be baseball guys? Do you work with anyone outside of the baseball realm? Cause I mean, a lot of that stuff, like I'm watching and I'm seeing them do their overhead throws and stuff that does also translate to other sports or are you, I know it's obviously branded top velocity, but do you open it up to other, other athletes looking to better themselves or is it specifically to baseball? You know, it's just specific baseball and even on more on that, it's, it's like, um, you know, it's more throwers. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we, we, we've opened to softball, but the you know i've just i've just stayed in this niche just because i love it i've stayed yeah the throwers i you know i i've developed programming and the biomechanical systems for for hitting mm-hmm. and i could coach that too i just don't enjoy it like i enjoy throwing and throwing right. it has such a lane for me to influence because it's the hardest to me it's the, it's the most advanced skilled uh, athletic movement it's the yeah. fastest human movement ever recorded in a laboratory, which is probably why you can say it's the most advanced. Yeah. And because of that, people don't coach it well, and they don't really have much. They don't have systems built around developing it. Mm-hmm. So it gave me a great avenue to basically be a leader and be a kind of a okay. pioneer in it. Even though we've, it has pioneers, you know, guys like Tom House, you know, uh, Dick Mills. These were yep. some of the pioneers in the industry that I came after. Uh, but I still felt there was a lot to pioneer in this industry, and and that's where a lot of my inventions came in. And that's yeah. what it, that's what it just kept me excited because yeah. there's just not enough people in this space doing really well. 
Yeah, it's 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 that's what that's what I was talking about earlier. It's like it's such a hard space to bust into because especially with pro guys, like you've got Cressy Air, Cressy up in Boston and Florida, and you know, you've got the driveline guys, they're doing all that stuff, and they kinda like those they've got the budgets enough to market huge and like that's what you see a lot of, but a lot of people don't see the cost associated. And I'm like, it's it's crazy out there. It's insane. And yeah, it is. It's, yeah. It's I mean, that's, it's that's tough the and, business side of it. It's you gotta yeah. be careful how you run it. Like Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to get too far away from the customer. I know my my camps are expensive, but now with our franchise, remotely, if you go into our performance centers, like there's lower price points to, to yeah. training with them. And yeah. but the point is, I didn't want to get the price point too far away from the the customer because um, I wanted to help as many people as I could handle myself. Right. But also, too, I wanted people to be able to on a mass scale. Apply the, apply the methodology. And if yeah. all the methodology was a built on advanced technology and advanced equipment, then you're cutting off a big group of people. Like I'm excited. Mm-hmm. We have a big Latin base, um, yeah. which, you know, a lot of the Latin countries don't have, you know, they have more poverty. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited that my methods have become really popular in those kind of poor uh, countries. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm I'm not profiting from it, I'm excited to see the the, the influence and the method. Yeah, just to share it with them, growing, yeah. right? Because I mean, there's a passion here, and the passion goes with a purpose, and the purpose is to really influence the game for the better. Because Absolutely. I was a victim of it. I, I'd, mm-hmm. That's the goal is to try to help more people, you know, be able to live their dreams through it without destroying themselves in the process. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I get that, man. I mean, that's that's what it is. And that's the thing, that's a cool thing. I was watching one of your live videos the other day, and I know you got a lot of dudes in there that are from the Latin community. I was watching, they're speaking Spanish and doing all that yeah. stuff. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is wild. I know. I wish I could learn Spanish. I'm so bad at it, man. Dude, you have I, my, like, <laughs> my family, like, this is kind of embarrassing. I'll say it. Everybody knows, like, my boss gives me shit for it all the time. Like, I, my whole family speaks Spanish. Like, my, oh, both parents, both parents are fluent. Like my grandparents speak it and it just that trait. My mom says it's like a failure of hers, but like it just didn't get passed on to me or my siblings. Like we are so horribly. I feel bad for you. Actually, it would be cool <laughs> that you had that. It's such, it's so valuable to be bilingual. That's I don't, dude. And that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'd pay money if I could be bilingual. So I have to put guys around me to kind of be my translator, which really yeah. it sucks, man. It, it, it'd be great if I could do it. And don't think I haven't tried. I'm actually dyslexic in language. So really, I think God was like, Hey, we'll give you really good spatial awareness and understanding of movement, but Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to speak other languages. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. The funny thing is if you're around it enough, like the funny thing is about that, just like one more thing was like, if you talk to me in Spanish, I know exactly what you're saying, but I cannot get it back to you. It's it's super strange. It's super weird. Like I know exactly what you're telling me. The English language is not there's no logic to it it's it's a mess no. so it's not a good language to learn from you know yeah yeah so so real quick kind of before i had a couple other questions we'll go into like the training aspects of things but like one more thing i had so i mean i'm sure you're well aware of like the cscs and all that stuff do you do you think that that's valuable because i know a lot of guys who and i get questions all the time because i do personal training on the side i do a lot of online training and I just actually went with my buddy who I told you runs his strength, his strength program online. We went to actually go speak at our high school about it. And there's a lot of kids asking if like the CSCS and all these, cause there's now there's Buku certifications. There's like the ISSA, there's all these ridiculous certifications. Some hold more weight. There's a national Academy of sports medicine. There's, there's hundreds of different certifications. 
but the CSCS seems to be, you know, by the, the NCSA seems to be the biggest and baddest certification you can get, which now anybody used to be able to get it. Now, anyone, now you have to have an exercise and sports science degree that that was changed this year. Do you think that that would be beneficial to have? I know you're huge on continuing education and to, in order to hold a CSCS, you have to have X amount of hours. I haven't looked into it in a while, but do you think that that is, or what would be the certification if someone who's not looking to get their master's, what, what's the certification you would recommend for someone to get going into this space? Yeah. I mean, I think the CSCS is a gold standard at this point mm-hmm. to uh, strength and conditioning certification. So, I mean, I, if I don't know the hours of, I mean, is that a postgraduate hours you have to have yeah. to get it now? Yeah. It's, it's a hard, <laughs> it's a hard exam. <laughs> I think that eliminated a lot of people that yeah. wanted to not get a postgraduate degree and get a CSCS certification because it is, if you put, now I can see what they're doing. If you put CSCS on the back of your name, it, it, it holds weight kind of like a master's, even mm-hmm. though it's not, I mean, I'd, I'd argue yeah. it's, it's not close to a master's. No, it's I not, mean, it's, but it's closer than other certifications, but yeah. But the point is, is, I see what they're doing. They're trying to like put it at that same level of, of like a postgraduate type of right. uh, you know, certification. So, yeah, I, I would recommend it. But now those that can't do it without postgraduate hours, I think you're going to have to do something else. You know, what's, who's really come around and I was certified. I haven't I need to renew with them, but it's totally changed. It's USA weightlifting. So okay. USAW is a great certification now. It used to be a real kind of average below average certification now the standards have gone through the roof so i think they're trying to be probably what cscs was Mm -hmm. um without the postgraduate aspects of it and so i would highly recommend the usaw level one performance level one um that because that one's for everybody the other ones are for if if you have olympic athletes but right so i would highly recommend that one that's a great one because once again you're you're putting the usa Olympic, you know, brand on your name. I think yeah. that doesn't hurt. Once again, there's marketing to all this. And I think that's a, that's a good marketing tool. Even if someone's yeah. never heard of it, they've heard of USA weightlifting, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, true. That's, that's one of those things. I, I didn't know about that. I knew that. And that's one of the things that like I looked for a while. Cause I, I was studying for the CSES, but just work and everything got out of the way. Cause it's such like, it's not a master's, but the amount of studying and work that goes into getting that certification with how hard it is to get it, 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 it's up there. It's pretty tough. Like that is yeah. no, the, the knowledge, the information you have to learn in there, the kinesiology you have to learn is, is the same stuff you'd have to learn to get a kinesiology right. masters, you know? Mm-hmm. So going into, so one more, a little bit more into your growth before we get, cause I have, dude, I have buku amounts of, of straight questions with pitching so many, but so how did, how, what was the evolution of your facility? And you said you franchise. So is there still only one facility in, in Louisiana? Is that the only one facility and then everything else is online based or what do y'all have going? Yeah. So this is the headquarters and it's a live and train. We have a dormitory out there. We're that actually is sick. almost finished with it. It's still going through renovations. And then mm-hmm. the weight room back here is going to be over there. So we're going to be expanding with space. We also eventually can build a field out next to it. And that is awesome. that's, so this is the headquarters. We have a similar model with a franchise in Boca. So Boca okay. Raton has mm-hmm. a beautiful, better than this, indoor facility. And it has uh, dormitories and it has even fields. So we have That's two awesome. live and train models. But this one is headquarters. I host all the camps out of here. We typically, like we do here, we stream them to the other centers. But there's other centers as well that don't have the live and train model like San Diego. 
Okay. Uh, it has about 5,000 5, square feet. That's it's so all the models are built out with the same layout. You see the mats, the balls, mm -hmm. the lifting, all the, the, the programming are, is being done there. Uh, the same evaluation systems, all the things we use. Uh, That's we have, awesome. uh, we have one in Seattle or Bellevue. We have one in, um, Sandy, uh, San Francisco. We have, um, Long Island, central Long Island, uh, wow. New York. We got York, Pennsylvania. These are some of our better ones. Uh, we have one in Idaho. We have a few in Texas, Temple, Texas. Temple, okay. Uh, Houston. Okay. Uh, we have, I think, um, there's a couple more I'm missing. But if you go to topvelocity.center, mm -hmm. you can see uh, our locations. There's actually a link to select locations, and you can see all of them. So That is so awesome. Y'all have, like, really expanded, man. Y'all like, are everywhere. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that we're is... we're about close to 20, I'd say, and we're trying to, you know, we want to get to 50. We're actually in, in between, like, models right now. We have a, mm -hmm. a licensing model. We're going to a full-blown franchise model. But our goal is to get 50 plus and then, um, I mean, keep going. I mean, right now, that's I our mean, next yeah. goal, what, what we want to hit. So. Cool. So, and then, so like, did it start with like you, would, like you were just in a tunnel with like a cage and you were just working in there doing your videos and, and then it kind of blew up? Is that kind of what it started at? Like just something small, like literally you had one tunnel and you were just working in there? Exactly. Like the original Top V was a garage about... <laughs> Fifth, uh, 1500 square feet it was hilarious yeah. <laughs> i had big leaguers coming into this little hole hole in the wall like squirrels in the roof you know Jeez. and uh and i was mostly doing it you know i was delivering everything because now mm. everything's on video and in apps and programming i was right. delivering everything i was also perfecting things and making them better you know yeah. proprietary stuff is like the med ball routines i developed all that uh out of my own knowledge trying to come up with you know, achieve the principles that I was learning with the, tr with right. the mechanics, um, to, of course, all the equipment that I've developed, but the, the, it's totally started there and, and it's evolved into this. And that was the slow growth. You know, it, mm -hmm. I went to about four facilities. This is the fourth facility and each one we got a little bigger and we got a little bigger and we got a little bigger. And now I'm at a point once next door is built out, I don't want to really get bigger. I just want yeah. to grow and I want to get more um, performance centers around the country, around the world. You know, we're our traffic in uh, Japan, Korea, Istanbul, uh, Venezuela, you know, or, you know, South America, um, the, the islands, you know, Bahamas, the Dominican. We've grown tremendously in those spaces, actually, yeah. where it's rivaling our traffic here in the state. So, Wow. Um, it'd be exciting to see, like, being able to put these centers in international uh, countries, you know. Yeah, that's, dude, that's nuts. That just that just shows, and they're all baseball, right? I mean, that has to be, right? It's all the same thing. It's all baseball. That is, it's more focused on throwers. So. This is going to be a little off, but do you think that that's just the game expanding and getting bigger? I mean, because baseball is growing at an immense rate. Do you think that all this international play, like not just in the Dominican and the Latin countries, expanding to places like that do you think that that's just the game growing and people like the game getting better and people wanting to get better to play longer around the world yeah i think it's a, it's everything it's the connectiveness of social media of the internet it's therefore bringing more of the game into all these places where it can be learned it's not just mm -hmm. like seen afar they mm -hmm. can actually almost touch it and feel it and do it themselves 
Yeah. So I think, yeah, the, I think this is the internet is done and guys like us that wanted to use that Avenue to deliver, yeah. um, it, it helps us or allows us to be right there as those first movers into all these countries, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've That's had crazy, come man. To me saying like in Japan, like I'm one of a few methods that people are learning about. So it's like, just like here, of course you have your little private coaches, but mm -hmm. these, these, you know, national brands to where people are going for information now exists with social media. And, and to hear that in Japan, you're one of those national brands and you've never even been to the country, you know, <laughs> that's dude, that is, that's gotta be really like, not only like, it's just like home, that's just like awesome, dude. Like I'd be like, this is insane. Like I've, it's masked this much. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, it's exciting, but you got, I guess personally you can say, well, you know, I helped, I, I mean, I'm the one who started this, but it, yeah, yeah, day, it's like, you, man. this is all bigger than, me this is bigger than mm -hmm. what we are because this is just all the great information that exists so all yeah. the people out in the space that are putting out all the scientific information that we're using and, and we're building programming off of all of us together are allowing this to happen you know yeah so that that's it's hard it does it's you got to keep your eyes open if you're if not you <laughs> yeah. get too egotistical but yeah it's, seriously. it's really a collective effort that's doing this so yeah and do you have so Roka, do you have like so like it like right now happening behind you, obviously there are, a lot of these guys look like they're older, so they're pretty much they have their programs and they know their work that needs to be done. Do you normally have like extra like coaches that come in and help you aid and, and kind of help like in that group setting behind you or how does that work? Yeah, I mean we here's the thing, like we the uniqueness of Top Velocity and almost I don't totally like giving away the secrets, but I will yeah. hear one of the secrets is if you are very strict to a culture, just like on a team, if you're strict to a culture mm -hmm. in a gym. And that culture is built around a, a method of training, then you don't need a lot of coaches. And the reason you don't need a lot of coaches is because there's people at all different levels, typically in your gym. So the ones that mm -hmm. are higher levels than the others, they want to help. The reason they want to help because it helps them better what they're doing. So gotcha. because everybody's doing the same thing and because you have everybody at different levels, you've created an environment that's collectively trying to pull each other up. Yeah. Of course, I'm in here. We have couple other coaches in here but you, you don't need a lot of coaches yes yeah. be honest the players the newbies coming in would rather learn from the experienced players than the coaches they interesting they, you see it. when when i talk to them it's like cool but when like you know eric orzy or keegan gillis these guys that have been here for three four years or one of them's about to be in big leagues when they talk it's like i mean it's like gold, gold more weight kids. yeah <laughs> right because yeah. these they're like well that's what i want to be I don't want to be Brent. Mm -hmm. I want to be that guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes sense. So, like, so at this point, how many, so, like, I know you said you have all these centers all over the place. So, this headquarters, and I know you said you're either, so there, the, there are already dormitories, or you all are remodeling the dormitories? Well, we have housing here that they live okay. in, and we're moving it all into the dormitories. So, they're almost done. Okay. So, right now, okay. they're living here. It's just they're going to be all switched into the dorms before, for the gotcha. summer. So, the summer's when we open up, so. Got you. So how many, how many kids like our ball players do you have that normally will stay an entire summer? Like how many, how many does that consist of? So the summers is the biggest time of year. So it's pretty right. much dead in here in the spring because everybody's playing. Yeah, everybody's playing. Yeah. Like, you know, 40 to 50 guys um, in our summers, which I'm not trying to, we're not trying to go for hundreds. Um, and that's why yeah, we did wanna, the, the yeah. franchise. We, we want people to have the opportunities to stay in their local locations. But if people want to come down, we have that opportunity. And we're happy with our numbers. I mean, I think maybe 60 would be our, our ideal number. 
Um, right. We've been we've had that before for a short amount of time. It's it's insane. That's a lot of dudes, um, and <laughs> yeah. they're all pretty close to the same age. They're typically you know high school, mostly college. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd say our demographic is college because we're pure player development. Like we're yeah. teaching them how to lift, like ground up. We're teaching them how to take care of their bodies, how to eat. We're teaching mm-hmm. them how to then move. We're teaching them biomechanics. We're teaching yeah. them foundational stuff. So like you're getting those high school and college kids that are like trying to build a career and they really want mm-hmm. to make sure they have the foundation. I think most of them wait too long. Unfortunately, yeah. I'd like to see them younger, but, um, but that typically is, is the demographics. Yeah. I was going to say, cause a lot of those guys look older and I, and I watch a lot of videos and senior stuff. A lot of the people you have in there are obviously older. I'm sure they're college or, or like maybe pro guys or indie, indie ball guys, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I would say on the pro side, we're not as nearly as popular as, as college. I would say mm-hmm. our brand is is high school college. Makes sense. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Um, all right, so let's get into like the training aspect. I have like as a ex pitcher and Tommy John victim, I guess you could say. I have a lot of questions. So the one of the biggest topics, and I coach, I coach uh, middle schoolers. I coach in the spring at a school that I went to, and we've got some, we got some kids that can play, and I get all kinds of questions because they know I, I studied and I interned and I did all that stuff. And the biggest question I get asked, man, I need, I need your opinion on it. Throwing, and I see your guys throwing it back there, so I know it's going to be interesting. What is your opinion on throwing weighted balls? Is it detrimental or is it beneficial? Yeah, so I'm a big pro- proponent against it, and okay, I'll grab a ball show you something mm-hmm. the problem is there's a pattern of injury and the injury the pattern of injury falls in the shoulder and the elbow i mean you're mm-hmm. the you've had the time you've gone i've had the rotator cuff so it's very common that you're going to experience pain in these two joints as a thrower right it's getting very com- more common that you're going to have to have surgery to repair this joint and maybe even what they can to this joint so right. That being said, we have to be careful as coaches how we load players and, and volume, put volume on players to develop throwing abilities. So mm-hmm. if we over-volume it, if we put too much reps on them, they fall into pain and break down. If we put too much weight or forces on them, same thing happens. So the problem with taking this ball and manipulating it with the weight is that's what you're doing. You're manipulating the forces and the loads and the stress on the arm. So period. At the end of the day, there's the standard is five ounces. So your arm is more than likely adapted because you've probably thrown this for a long time. And studies show it happens. Your arm has adapted to five ounces because that's what it's thrown the most of. So that's the standard weight. So anything above and below challenges the arm typically becomes more stressful the arm because it hasn't adapted to that weight so that's where we start to fall into problems when we manipulate the weight on the ball and we have several studies that show the only real changes from a weight of the ball used is external rotation so it's basically when someone throws weighted balls typically right out of the gate they start to Mm -hmm. gain up to nine degrees in one study was external rotation The problem with that is that links to increased joint laxity. And when you increase joint laxity in a short amount of time, you set it up for injury. So, and studies show more, uh, more people that typically have more external rotation or again, an increase in external rotation become more vulnerable to injury. That's typically what you find. You find 
if you do find injury in a weighted ball program, it's because they increase the stress or they, through the throws, they've gained the external rotation and they don't get maybe hurt in the drills, then they're out playing catch and two weeks later or playing a game two weeks later and then they experience pain or breakdown or injury, they tear something. Gotcha. So you find that commonly, I wouldn't, oh, let's not say common, you find that, um, you know, a, a good amount of the time when you use weighted ball training. Uh, there is no, there hasn't been a study that I saw that found an increase in arm speed an increase in arm strength. It was typically just an increase in layback, which gotcha. is a vulnerable thing to increase because it's it's a weak weakening of the joint. Right now, we use uh, tell me a med ball. So we use if we're gonna weight something, we weight a med ball with a two hand throw. So gotcha. The reason I I like the overload principle because you're putting a challenge on the athlete. Hey. Here's something heavier. This is gonna so therefore it's gonna be harder. And I want you to throw it like you do your you throw a baseball. So because I want to challenge that delivery. Yeah. The, where it gets safer with the two-handed throw is that your arm d- can't pull away from the trunk. So typically, right. back to the baseball, when we start to hurt the arm, it's when the arm gets out of sync with the trunk, meaning the mass of the trunk is going this way and the arm is going that way. Flying out, yeah. Or the trunk is stopped, and now the arm's trying to create the forces the trunk failed to create. That's gotcha. usually when the forces on the arm go up. So mm-hmm. when you do two hands on it with the ball, now the arm can't pull away. It stays connected. Mm-hmm. So it's like a bat now, right? It's like a yeah. bat working better with your body. So that's why if I'm going to load them up, I'm going to load them up in a two-handed throw where the arm can't pull away and receive all the excess forces and it's crazy when we started doing throws like this up to two pounds we saw typically you could throw a hundred of these grab a baseball and 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 go to throw the baseball and it feels like your first throw like like your arm doesn't want to lay back feels fresh yeah still tight it's not ready so you have to warm up it's crazy so it's crazy you can throw a hundred of these and you still have to warm up on the first throw of this which shows this wild. was not putting it on your arm. And you can feel yeah. it. Now that I'm not using my arm, now I got to crank up my legs. I got to crank up my trunk because my arm can't do the work. Like here, if I'm just doing this, even if it's weighted, you know, I can mm-hmm. drag and whip and I can just yeah. throw it with my arm, which is where the stresses come in. Right. Um, but you can't do that with the med ball. So it's a long way of looking at it, but I don't recommend it with the baseball, but I do recommend the added weight with a two-handed med ball throw. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. See, that's, it's funny you say that. Cause I saw in, in like I did, I actually wrote a blog post. I might send it to you just to show you. Cause I went through for a long time. Cause I, I play men's league with this guy and he's always throwing. And I was like, dude, you know what? I'm going to go find a thing that says you should not be throwing weighted balls. Cause there's just too much destruction on your arm. Cause he'll load up and just toss med ball, like these really heavy balls at the dugout before he, he throws which like, it's funny. I'll, I'll call it Car- My buddy's name is Carlos and he's already had two TJ surgeries. I'm like, dude, you're about to get a third. Like, stop throwing med balls, dude. Like, enough. Because there's just too many, there's just too many studies. There's too many, too many different case studies that show the the damage that it does to your ligaments, especially on people that with their throwing mechanics, it just it rips up your UCL like so much faster than it would on any other just throwing a baseball or even a lighter baseball. It's insane. Well, think about it. Like 
if I'm pulling hard and my arm's dragging, there's the mm-hmm. ligament right there. So the arm wants to go that way. The trunk's mm-hmm. trying to go this way. So where's the <laughs> yeah. point in between? Boom. All right in the middle. Yep. So you're literally, and now if the, if this is weighted, so this is mm-hmm. seven ounces, eight ounces. Now it's, yeah. a, it's, it's creating more of a pulling force. Yeah. Yeah. The velocity that comes out is slower. So everybody thinks, well, it's less stress. Well, it's less peak stress, but it's right. more stress over time. Meaning mm-hmm. you're now in that position longer because your arm's moving slower. So now you, you have, and if this, you look at the ASMI studies, the torques can be the same or higher with the ha- heavier balls. It, yeah. it still can be higher or the same, or if it's slightly lower, but you're obviously going to be in those positions longer. So now it's time over tension over time. Now right. I'm, pu- I'm putting myself in these bad positions for longer periods of time because of the added weight. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like, and that's, that's the thing I was, I've never been a, a Tommy. I've never been a, I'm sorry, a weighted ball guy. I still hit Tommy John. I think mine just came from overuse. Do you think, so here's another, here's another question I have for you. So I also get the same thing was like, should my, should I be throwing my kid X amount of innings? Cause you know, a lot of these kids and I, and I tell parents all the time, you know, I'm like, Hey, you need to give these kids a break, especially kids coming up 12 to 16 years old, because you've got the kids that are playing every single weekend and they're throwing a hundred plus pitches. Cause select ball has no pitch pitch count. Do you think that a lot of injuries come not because of poor mechanics, not because of weighted ball stuff, not because of poor height or not poor hygiene, but poor form in the gym? Do you think it comes from overuse? Well, I mean, so there's two to look at on that. ASMI did a lot of studies on that. And then Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Ryan Croton, who works with armcare.com now, has done Mm -hmm. a lot of work on that. So there are two real good voices in that realm. And ASMI says it's typically three things. It's poor mechanics, over, overuse, two-minute two throwing, volume of yeah. throwing, and uh, uh, physical fitness, weak weakness. Yeah. Ryan says weakness has a lot to do with it. His motto is strength matters most. So obviously, I'm Ryan and I share that same commonality. We're yeah. big strength developers. So here's the thing. Yeah, you could get – one kid could throw 100 – throws and blow out and another kid would be perfectly fine well the one who's fine is probably a lot stronger and also probably uses his body way better okay so and and that's the other thing is you got to understand arm speed doesn't correlate to uh velocity you know you're gonna have some guys that can throw much harder with way less arm speed you can have guys gain velocity and lose arm speed so you got to (laughs) understand arm speed doesn't equal velocity that's the biggest misconception um and so the point is is it's just playing the physics so Mm -hmm. yeah volume is going to affect stress speed is going to affect stress um strength is going to affect stress the ability to use the kinetic chain is going to affect stress so it's 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 all these factors that you're playing into so if you know Mm -hmm. this athlete is tight he doesn't move well he he uses a lot of arm he's not that strong this is a kid, your pitch counts better be very low. Yeah. But if you're using a universal pitch count, Dr. Ryan Croton already proved they don't work. He did tons of studies showing yeah. pitch counts don't work. Yeah, no, they don't. For that yeah. purpose, you, there's too many factors here that are unique to each pitcher. So the thing is, you got to really understand your pitcher. What can he handle? And I, I like the uh, uh, 
I think he was a master's in Kines Samir when, with the old modus sleeves. He did a study that showed it was a stress management study. Basically, mm -hmm. if you take, say, two weeks of throwing data, say, looking at someone's frequency, how many pitches each day, and you, if that increases, that workload increases by over 30% or 130%. So they throw 130% more than the day they did before, the last appearance. They, right. their risk of injury considerably goes up. So you really shouldn't jump much more than 130%. You should be something less uh, in your consistent throwing volume. So okay. it's, it's when you make those big jumps um, on anyone, it typically yeah. throws them into higher risk of injury. And that's, you know, it's funny you say that because I'm, I always try to, I always struggle because I know universal pitch, pitch counts don't work. They never have even like, you know, you date back 10, 12 years ago when I was playing and they gave us a mandatory pitch count. Like they don't work. It's just because like what you just said is really, it's really obvious. Like I didn't think it was going to take a case study to show like, you know, 90 pitches to one guy may be 160 to another, just by the way they throw the mechanics, the way they move. I mean, that was just, that's just logical. Anyone with a, because everybody's different. And I just don't know why we haven't really evolved from that yet, but it's one of those things that just probably won't go away because they have some, like you said. Pitch counts was this first good first step because, I mean, I, I was mm -hmm. the era True. of overthrowing. You know, I remember throwing 150 pitches multiple times, you know. So Me just too. getting these coaches <laughs> to stop overthrowing guys, was, yeah, but that's a good first step. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a step. You're right. It is a step, but it's still kind of like, yeah, I don't know, you know, because – because but the other thing is like only certain certain league rules use that. I mean, you go to any like U Triple tournament, any high school tournament. Like, I mean, even when I was in high school, 2013, 20, well, 2013 was my last year. I was even high school. I was throwing 150, 160 pitch games. Like it's like there's no doubt my arm gave out because it's just like it just had nothing left, nothing left. I mean the the doctor told me it looked like a grenade blew up in my arm. That's like yeah. how bad it was. So I was like, I mean, I'm no, I'm not surprised. Like there were too many days I just threw too much and knew I threw too much. But you know, my parents were you're uneducated, also, in, right? And you're in also not a tall, big guy. Like, right? It doesn't mean being tall and big doesn't you you don't hurt yourself because you also typically people that are bigger put way more torque on their body. But right. Yeah. When you're smaller, smaller than average, you're having to move so much faster for performance than right. guys taller than you that. Mm -hmm most stress comes from speed like the how quickly you apply torque is is has a lot to do with the kind of stress you're putting yeah. on your body you know yeah so so let me ask you this kind of going into science to science thing I'm, I'm sure you've known you see jordan hicks you've seen that guy throw and he throws 104 but here's here's an interesting thing that i was talking to my buddy about the other day because we were trying to act where because we me and my friends are like huge pitching ninja guys so we love looking at his kind we'll be just yeah. sending pitching ninja stuff to each other all the time and it's insane that you see like a Marcus Stroman who's like 5'9", and he can get it up to about 96. Like he can throw it, right? But then you have like Gratterall for the Dodgers. Are you familiar with him? That big burly guy throws 102. And then you have DeGrom who throws in the high 90s too. But they're all huge. Like their bodies are so much different yeah. and their deliveries are insanely different. Where where does that velocity come from? Because it's like Stroman is very fast twitch. You see it. Gratterall's like it doesn't look like he's trying at all. But then you have Degrom, who's six eight, who's just so long, and he can just get the ball over there. What? Where does the velocity come from? Is it from the training? Is it you know what they say? It's God given. They're just built with that ability. Or where where does that velocity generate from? And how how is it that you can have a guy throw it from five eight throwing that hard, and then you can have a dude who's six eight throwing that hard as well? Well, the, there's many physics that drive velocity. So right. 
the physics that apply speed because velocity is a speed measurement is distance over over time right so if i can move um super fast and give myself time which is basically distance so if i can take a set distance and i can move as fast as i can over that distance then i'm going to create a speed at the end so mass is going to affect affect that i mean we can go heavy into the like newtonian physics you know, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know acceleration is forced by my mass all this stuff right so there's many variables just in the components of the physics of it to understand that we can play we can balance it out in very different right. ways because of that like distance um is like uh stride length but it, it can also be distance between the joints you know the right. the, the taller guy the degroms have the advantage of distance so like gears on a bicycle the bigger gear if you moved it at the same speed as the little gear it's going much faster because the the distance of the levers is creating uh more acceleration over because right. like, there's longer distances to accelerate over right then mm -hmm. you have someone who's short well someone who's short they can move quicker typically mm -hmm. where they have to move quicker right. sometimes yeah. also having smaller levers is easier to move quicker so right. it's, it's actually easier for them to move through their mechanics faster because they don't have these long levers, right? Okay. So they, they can win just by being super fast. Mm -hmm. When the DeGroms win by just being long the and, and allowing it to build up, yeah. right? He lets, mm -hmm. He's really good at starting the forces mm -hmm. and building them up over time. And then someone like uh, Gratterall or whatever, the, he's a big guy. He's, what, 265? Yeah, yeah he's a well, big dude. Yeah. Well, mass is... The, the inertial forces of moving a big mass into landing um, translate. Uh, there's a lot of energy that can then be translated to the ball. I always say that's like the, the freight train and the feather. Mm -hmm. Pushing a freight train or feather at the same speed, and I stop. Which one can, can use on the freight train? Because right. to move a freight train at the same speed as a feather takes a lot more force. So he's really right. a, a force generator. So if he can take that big mass and move it, say, half the speed of a Stroman or whatever – He's going to get a lot more of a result at the end because he's yep. pushing so much more force into the ground. It's the, it's the weight allows him or helps him to do. So yeah. at the end of the day, you have to you have to take. So if I'm a long guy, I want to get really good at building energy up. If I'm a yeah. short guy, I want to get super fast. If I'm mm -hmm. a big guy, I want to be strong and powerful to move my forces. Like so, gotcha. the point is, we, all those can throw hard because of the um, just understanding the physics that they have the benefits of the size they have and using that to its best. Gotcha. Yeah. I just, I, I've always wondered that. And like that, that explains it so well. So anyone who didn't know that that's why they do, because you can get the, the 90 mile an hour ball still to this day. I mean, now I guess the, the golden standard is probably 93 times have changed. Now people yeah, are throwing right. harder, right. but like you can achieve that at any body type. People think, Oh, I'm not six, seven. I can't throw, I'm not going to be able to throw a hundred miles an hour. And it's crazy because it's possible. It's there. You just have to understand your body and train correctly. And I think that, a lot of kids need to understand that because a lot of kids, you know, they, you have the ignorant dads who are like, oh, my son will never be that great. He's only 5'8 and he's not going to grow. We don't have the genes. I'm like, that. you can't roll that out. Like, you don't know that. It's insane. Yeah. Like, I know but, I was talking. But, but, I was, yeah. Good. Yeah, you're right. But when I see a small guy perform at the same level of a big guy, if mm -hmm. that small guy was scaled to that size, he would be now in another league to that to that big guy. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I, I was talking yesterday because we had a we had my buddy. His name's Riley. He played with um, he plays with the Diamondbacks. He's he's a free agent now, but you know he's about the same size as me, and it's insane. He's he's a little thicker. He's a little bit of a country boy. He's a little bit bigger than I am, but we're about the same height. He's not much bigger than me, 
And the dude throws like 98 miles an hour. And it's just like two body types. It's he's not like incredibly good shape. I'd like to say I'm in better shape. But if you look at us both, you'd be like, I don't know. But he throws way harder than I do. And it's just one of those things where you're just like, I don't know. Well, you got to understand, too, know, yeah. like there's even there's more like advanced properties of the what what's occurring here within the body. So, for example, mm-hmm. like when you pull on a muscle, you excite the muscle spindles to want to contract. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how the body protects itself. You can pull on it to gain length. And then eventually it wants to come back together again. Well, that excitement of the muscle spindles on some people is freakish. It's like through the roof. It's like, it's like if you define that as an electrical impulse, which it technically is like yours is like a a little spark plug going off when theirs Mm -hmm. is like a literally a cannon, like (laughs) boom, Boom. right? So the point is, is you're, you also got to understand there's mechanisms in the chemistry, in the anatomy of the body outside of just like length and size like that are going on that you have to also be aware of too yeah that's insane yeah i mean it's just it's just crazy how how it varies from from body to body but into another aspect so now into weight training so i know like and the funny thing is like at every school you go to or any big program you go to there's there's coach there's strength coaches and a lot of them are really great i'm not going to take that away from a lot of them a lot of them really great but some of them have these preconceived notions that like oh we're not baseball players aren't going to lift above the head they're not going to do x they're not going to do y z they're not going to do all these things because it's injury prone and i see your guys lifting overhead there's a lot of shoulder stability stuff going on back there as well are there any lifts you think i mean besides like the bro lifts like you don't need to do bicep curl all the crap like are there lifts that you think obviously olympic lifts um, deadlifts are always a, a, a tough spot. No one, there's never, I've never seen, I've never had one consensus on deadlifting though. I know that how bad it is and how the risk to rewards not there, but are there truly lifts that affect ball players, even if they're done correctly? Like affects them positively or negatively? No, negatively. Cause I've seen so many people that like, that'll be like, let's do some power cleans. And then there's some guys that are like baseball players shouldn't be power cleaning. It puts too much stretch on the stress on their shoulders and they, and then they're back. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true or not. So what, what do you think on that? Um, you know, there's, there's one of my favorite groups that are injury specialists and they're not in baseball. They're in, um, they're in CrossFit is Active okay. Life RX. Dr. Sean mm-hmm. Pastu, she's yep. one of my favorites. Dr. Sean's the man. So yeah. Dr. Sean would say like, okay, you don't want to do some type of exercise. That's fine. But what's the reason? Why don't you want to yep. do it? Oh, if you're experiencing mm-hmm. pain or discomfort, well, what's, what's the culprit or what's the cause of the pain? It's like, okay, we're fine with you not wanting to do a certain set of exercises, but why not? And what's causing that problem? Because that's the real problem here, not the exercise. So it, he would have typically agree probably with me as well that you, you can do eventually do all exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a point where it does become I- injurious to the body. Like you can lift yourself into injury. You can um, not lift oh, yeah. yourself into injury, right? Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. at the end of the day, not lifting can be weakness. So I don't think there's a specific exercise you know, I can find a way better argument for weighted balls than I can find for anything in the weight room for why yeah. it, it's going to be hard for it to benefit you. But most of the stuff in the weight room, I don't think you're going to run into like it, just generally if you do that, it's never going to work. It's going to hurt you. I think yeah. I would rather see you do being able to do everything in the weight room because in the, the day, the weight room can be a great assessment tool mm-hmm. to what's going on in your body. If, Absolutely. If you can't overhead lift. 
well, there's <laughs> that's a great assessment tool. Let's figure out why as opposed to go, yeah. well, that's just a general thing that you shouldn't be able to overhead lift. So let's let's leave it alone. That's ridiculous mm-hmm. when all these injuries that are happening up here can be all brought down to us, uh, the the problem of weakness. Mm-hmm. So how do we overcome weakness if we can't lift and load our bodies, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes that's that's what I was kind of getting at. It was like there's there's so many different people that say certain things that just I'm just like that's just totally not true. Like that's ridiculous. Like well, here, it's it's insane. It's a it's a poor brainwashing. It's a fear mongering in our sport. Yeah, that's created extremely specifically in in our country, extremely underdeveloped youth athletes. Like just mm-hmm. almost to the point where I don't even think they should be allowed to play. They're so poorly developed, right? <laughs> Yeah. And for example, I, I'm not going to call his name, but got one kid in here and he said his feet has been hurting him. And he, the doctor says he should sit out because his feet hurt. Well, I just noticed today he wears flip-flops every day. So in thick cushion flip-flops. I'm like, well, have Jeez. you ever thought that the cushioning has weakened your feet? So now mm-hmm. your foot strength is poor. So now when you go in a drill and you put a lot of force on it, you injure it because it's weak. Because you're in flip-flops yeah. literally all day long. <laughs> And he's like, I never thought of that. So think about it. The doctor's been telling you to allow it to fester, allow the weakness to continue to atrophy. And I'm sitting yeah. here going, that's probably why you're injured. You should do the opposite. I told him, you should walk around barefoot. You should do your anaerobics in barefoot. We need to build yeah. your foot strength back. And typically, 100 times when I see injury, of course, I can narrow it down to poor mechanics, poor training. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it's not lifting for example i have a kid in here who's said his shoulders bothering him and i walked up to him and i'm like okay well how are you doing with the overhead lifts and he's like i'm not doing them i'm like why did you take out the overhead lift because all my li- all my training is overhead lift yeah well yeah. my arm was bothering my doctor said i shouldn't do it i was like but you're still in here trying to throw you know 80 90 percent so you're you're obviously weak yeah. and you've got yeah. a little bit of inflammation so yeah. how are we going to get out of this if we're now completely avoiding any strengthening in that area? That's, and that's yeah. the mentality. And the mentality is being reinforced with coaches. It's being reinforced with medical doctors that mm-hmm. staying weak and atrophying and avoiding strengthening or loading areas that are in pain are actually good things. I understand you got to rest, but not more than a couple of weeks at most. Then yeah. you've got to get into some real strengthening because you're an athlete. And yeah. This is what happens to athletes when they start moving forces through their body and they have weak links. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's funny that you say that, man, because like I, I remember doing a study in, in high school and or I'm sorry, not high school, in college. And it was like a lot of doctors, like you said, they're quick to surgery. They're quick to surgery because and that's a business thing. I think that they make more money if they just go into surgery rather than prescribing a PT system or something like that for them to rehabilitate before. But the the crazy thing is it's more of the generation of the younger generation. I think it's just I have a lot of views on what it could possibly be that I think our generations are a lot different in, in pain tolerance and stuff like that. But knowing the difference between something that's hurting, that's like that's a sharp hurting pain or a dull sore pain that like you just need to work through some soreness and knowing what, what actual pain is. There's a very big disconnect in generations there, I think. No, I think you're right, too. Yeah, I think people are... You, this generation, people are more used to hearing people's thoughts and mm-hmm. hearing their problems. Um, and, and mentors are now looked at as therapists. When yeah. my generation <laughs> mentors were looked at 
uh, like parents, like authority figures, like, yeah, like do, do what I said, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is a different area. I, I'm fine with the era of being the therapist. You know, I, I'm good at, I got a psychology undergraduate. I'm fine with it. <laughs> it's just, you got to understand what, if you're really going to get that self-aware about pain, you got to understand what pain is and mm-hmm. pain that only occurs when you move, um, isn't like pain that should cause you to to stay in bed every day until it goes away (laughs) yeah that's obviously related to how you're training how you're performing pain that's there all the time okay that's a different story that's to me like the flu at this point yeah Yeah. you might have to take some days off but you're right i think in today's day and age if we're going to be so sensitive to our feelings and our problems we got to get now educated to understand what the hell they are because we are wasting a lot of time talking about them and not actually uh, fixing the problems, you know? Yeah. No, I agree, man. I mean, that's that's the thing. It was like a lot of times, like, I have kids that are like, oh, my, my arm hurts. I'm like, or like, my leg hurts. I'm like, well, what does it feel like? Well, it just feels like, and they'll, like basically, they'll, they'll come up with these BS things. And I'm like, so it's just a sore. You're sore. You're fine. Get out there and go work through it. And you'll be better at the end of it. And that's just yeah, one of those things day, I've a lot seen, of them yeah. now just. I think those young kids just want to be assured that they're not doing something wrong. And, yeah, yeah, you know, for the most part. Yeah, And that's where, once again, you have a great responsibility as a coach. Like you have a mm-hmm. real responsibility as a coach to guide someone's development in mm-hmm. life. So if you're doing that off the cuff um, just to make a buck, now you're <laughs> responsible for that kid. So if yeah. your lack of integrity to go out and and find the right information for that kid and stay in continuing education and get your degree so you can better help these kids. If you're not adamantly trying to do that, you're you're dropping the ball and you're taking advantage of people because um, yeah. that's your role in society. So you got to if you're going to do a good job of it, you got to keep educating yourself. Yeah, I think that that's that's like the overarching look on what coaching should be. And I think we've lost that. Uh, at least there are some really good coaches out there. There really are. But then there's some that aren't. I mean, that's just that's that's always been that's that's all that will always be. But I think that there are a good chunk out there that are that are truly doing that and trying to, to benefit dudes, not just down the field, but as young men in general. And I think that's that's huge, man. And at the end of the day, yeah. the ones that aren't good, I think, are just lazy. It, to <laughs> me, there's no reason you can't be a good yeah. coach. Everyone has no, that. No, there's not. You're yeah. just lazy. Yeah, man. Well, we're approaching the hour, man. I know you got a lot of stuff happening back there, so we don't want to keep you too long, dude. But we've ha- we've really appreciated having you on here, man. Truly, it's it's been awesome. So, tell us tell us a little bit more, real quick, before we head out. Um, what's what's next? I know you told us kind of your future plans on what's going on at, with Top Velocity, but but tell us kind of short term what you guys are planning for with coming. I know you got a lot of guys probably heading into season probably within the next week or two. So, tell us a little bit what's happening and what the plan is with Top Velocity as we go into the season and. And uh, so anything else you want to say to the people out there? Yeah, man, I really appreciate you having me on and thanks. And, you know, what we're trying to do here is just continue to grow the knowledge base, uh, get more of this great information out. Um, as I finish my PhD, I'm excited of all the great things I can keep putting out there. I get to do my dissertation and, and do a case study. That'll be fun. But mm-hmm. top velocity oh, cool. is, is we're trying to get more people behind the brand. So those that, <laughs> leaving the message and the mission that we're doing and, and want to actually um, invest in it and put it out into a local area and allow it to influence that local area. We're adamantly looking for those people um, for across the world. Um, so yeah. that's what we're really trying to put our resources and, and grow. 
same time too, we want to keep making this a better place for those guys that want to take off seasons and dedicate themselves to improving their craft, their skill and enhancing their abilities just through hard work and and doing it really well through our system. Uh, So at the same time, we're trying to improve it here while we're trying to grow it everywhere else. And we're just excited to see the positive impacts from it. And, And we can't wait to see as it grows bigger, you know, that, that impact grow bigger as well. Yeah. Awesome, man. Like, like I said, I'm, I was super pumped when I, I, like I said, for anybody who didn't catch the beginning, I've been watching Brent for a long time. I've been seeing his whole thing grow. So it's really cool to see it come full circle. And it looks like you got quite a bit of athletes in there and there's a lot of people, obviously, if you're around as many cities, as you said, you're in a lot of people are backing you, man. They're, they view that message and they run what they do. So that's, that's really special to see. Well, thank you, man. I mean, I need people like you to help me get it out there. So I really appreciate what yeah, you dude. do and getting this out and um, supporting us as well. And I appreciate it, man. Absolutely, man. I'm, I promise there will be more coming. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm almost sure. certain that there will be more content coming love with you, man. But yeah. So everybody, thank you for listening today. Um, this episode should be out next Friday. I don't know what next Friday is, but I think today's the 16th. So what? Uh, probably the 27th potentially um so yeah this will be out everywhere on youtube spotify apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts so thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll see you in the next one